chapter nine of plum pudding of divers ingredients discreetly blended and seasoned this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. plum pudding of divers ingredients secretly blended and seasoned by christopher morley a preface to the profession of journalism being an answer to a letter from a college student asking advice as to taking up writing as a career your inquiry is congenial and i feel guilty of selfishness in answering it in this way but he must be a poor workman whether artisan or artist who does not welcome an excuse now and then for shutting out the fascinating and maddening complexity of this shining world to concentrate his random wits on some honest and self-stimulating expression of his purpose there are exceptions to every rule but writing if undertaken as a trade is subject to the conditions of all other trades the apprentice must begin with task work he must please his employers before he can earn the right to please himself not only that he must have ingenuity and patience enough to learn how editors are pleased but he will be startled i think if he studies their needs to see how eager they are to meet him halfway this necessary docility is in the long run a wholesome physic because if our apprentice has any gallantry of spirit it will arouse in him an exhilarating irritation that indignation which is said to be the forerunner of creation it will mean probably a period perhaps short perhaps long perhaps permanent of rather meagre and stinted acquaintance with the genial luxuries and amenities of life but such is the optimism of memory a period that he will always look back upon as the happiest of all it is well for our apprentice if in this season he has a taste for cheap tobacco and a tactful technique in borrowing money the deliberate embrace of literature as a career involves very real dangers i mean dangers to the spirit over and above those of the right-hand trouser pocket for let it be honestly stated the business of writing is solidly founded on a monstrous and perilous egotism himself his temperament his powers of observation and comment his emotions and sensibilities and ambitions and idiocies these are the only monopoly the writer has this is his only capital and with glorious and shameless confidence he proposes to market it let him make the best of it continually stooping over the muddy flux of his racing mind searching a momentary flash of clearness in which he can find mirrored some delicate beauty or truth he tosses between the alternatives of self-grandeur and self-disgust it is a painful matter this endless self-scrutiny we are all familiar with the addled ego of literature the writer whom constant self-communication has made vulgar acid querulous and vain and yet it is remarkable that of so many who meddle with the combustible passions of their own minds so few are blown up the discipline of living is a fine cooling jacket for the engine 
it is essential for our apprentice to remember that though he begin with the vilest hack-work writing scoffing paragraphs or advertising pamphlets or freelance snippets for the papers that even in hack-work quality shows itself to those competent to judge and he need not always subdue his gold to the lead in which he works moreover conscience and instinct are surprisingly true and sane if he follows the suggestions of his own inward he will generally be right moreover again no one can help him as much as he can help himself there is no job in the writing world that he cannot have if he really wants it writing about something he intimately knows is a sound principle hugh walpole that greatly gifted novelist taught school after leaving cambridge and very sensibly began by writing about school teaching if you care to see how well he did it read the gods and mr perrin i would propose this test to the would-be writer does he feel honestly that he could write as convincingly about his own tract of life whatever it may be as walpole wrote about that boy's school if so he has a true vocation for literature the first and most necessary equipment of any writer be he reporter advertising copy man poet or historian is swift lively accurate observation and since consciousness is a rapid shallow river which we can only rarely dam up deep enough to go swimming and take our ease it is his positive need unless he is a genius who can afford to let drift away much of his only source of gold to keep a notebook handy for the sieving and skimming of this running stream samuel butler has good advice on this topic of ideas he says you must throw salt on their tails or they fly away and you never see their bright plumage again poems stories epigrams all the happiest freaks of the mind flit by on wings and at haphazard instants they must be caught in air in this respect one thinks american writers ought to have an advantage over english for american trousers are made with hip pockets in which a small notebook may so comfortably caress the natural curvature of man fancy is engendered in the eyes said shakespeare and is with gazing fed by fancy he meant i suppose love but imagination is also so engendered close constant vivid and compassionate gazing at the ways of mankind is the laboratory manual of literature but for most of us we may gaze until our eyeballs twitch with weariness unless we seize and hold the flying picture in some steadfast memorandum the greater part of our experience dissolves away with time if a man has thought sufficiently about the arduous and variously rewarded profession of literature to propose seriously to follow it for a living he will already have said these things to himself with more force and pungency he may have satisfied himself that he has a necessary desire for self-expression which is a parlous state indeed and the cause of much literary villainy the truly great writer is more likely to write in the hope of expressing the hearts of others than his own and there are other desires too most legitimate 
that he may feel an english humorist said recently in the preface to his book i wrote these stories to satisfy an inward craving not for artistic expression but for food and drink but i cannot conscientiously advise any man to turn to writing merely as a means of earning his victual unless he should by some cheerful casualty stumble upon a trick of the you know me alfred sort what one might call the adaboyant style if all you want is a suggestion as to some honest way of growing rich the doughnut industry is not yet overcrowded and people will stand in line to pay twenty-two cents for a dab of ice cream smeared with a trickle of syrup to the man who approaches writing with some decent tincture of idealism it is well to say that he proposes to use as a trade what is at its best and happiest an art and a recreation he proposes to sell his mental reactions to the helpless public and he proposes not only to enjoy himself by doing so but to be handsomely recompensed withal he cannot complain that in days when both honesty and delicacy of mind are none too common we ask him to bring to his task the humility of the tradesman the joy of the sportsman the conscience of the artist and if he does so he will be in a condition to profit by these fine words of george santa anna said of the poet but applicable to workers in every branch of literature he labors with his nameless burden of perception and wastes himself in aimless impulses of emotion and reverie until finally the method of some art offers a vent to his inspiration or to such part of it as can survive the test of time and the discipline of expression wealth of sensation and freedom of fancy which make an extraordinary ferment in his ignorant heart presently bubble over into some kind of utterance End of chapter nine